You're listening to a message from Victory Christian Center in Farmer City, Illinois. For more information on Victory, please contact us at vccfarmercity.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to church this morning. If you brought your Bible today and you want to try and keep up, open it to 1 Samuel chapter 13. We've been talking about honor and what the Bible says about honor. And this morning, my intention is to go look at a man in in the Bible who had a great understanding of honor and who walked in a high degree of honor. And we can begin to pick up some things. And that man, of course, is King David. That's where I want to land. I'm going to start just a little before him. And look at the end of King Saul's reign. King Saul was the first king given over Israel who could have been a great king. He was not destined for the end that he did, but he made some very poor choices. And it was unfortunate. But we'll start reading in 1 Samuel chapter 13, in verse 13. This is the prophet Samuel. He says to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. That was God's plan. And it was going to be through Saul. But Saul did not live up to the expectation. Verse 14, but now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And this was not a one-time event. This was a series of events in Saul's life, and he just reached the end. And it it reminds me of what we already looked at with Eli. Um, The high priest Eli did not do what, what was commanded of him, and he did not remove disrespect from the priesthood. And it cost him the same thing. What had been promised to his family and his generations got taken away because of poor choices. Same thing going on here. But that's not my message. I want to shift in. Who's the new guy? Well, we know who it is. It's King David. And I just want to slip a verse in. And this is from the Apostle Paul in Acts 13.22. Paul writes, When he, God, had removed him, Saul, He raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Now, I do think those two things are connected. Someone who's after the heart of God wants to do the will of God. Someone who's after someone else's heart, most likely their own heart, is not seeking the will of God. They're seeking their own. But I want to point out, David was a man after God's own heart. What made him that way? Well, it's a setup. I believe a big key of what made David that guy whose heart was just after God, a big key was his understanding of honor. Now, I won't be so bold as to say, and that was the only key. And no, I'm sure it's a multifaceted answer, but that's the part of the answer I want to look at this morning. Um, he honored God with his life. He honored God in many of the things he did. Was he perfect? No, but he had a heart after God. So I want to go to First Chronicles 19. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit this morning, but I want to start with an example of King David showing honor. Um, in First Chronicles 19, verse 1, 
It happened after this that Nahash, the king of the people of Ammon, died, and his son reigned in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanan, the son of Nahash, because his father showed kindness to me. Now, this is an act of honor. And this would be maybe one of my first point about honor. People of honor remember what others have done for him or done for them. Um, and I've said it often, and it's a great way of worship, but one of the ways we worship him, one of the ways we honor him is by remembering what God has done for us. It's an act of honor to not forget. Even the things he's done for you two or three years ago, Okay, for most of us, 20, 30, 40 years ago, however far back you go, remembering the things he's done for you and not forgetting. I can't tell you the number of the old-time preachers who would, who would preach, keep a journal. Write down the things God has done for you. I'll go back to the Old Covenant. How many times did God tell the Jewish people under the Old Covenant, write it down? Write it down. Rehearse it. Recite it. Tell your children what I've done for you. Tell your children's children what I've done for you. It's a way of honoring him. People of honor remember what others have done for him. In this case, uh, David's remembering, you know, the king of the Ammonites was good to me. He showed kindness to me. And now he's passed on. I need to show kindness to his son. It goes further than that generation. He says, I want to show kindness to his son because his dad was so good to me and, and be kind to him. So it says, so David sent messengers to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came to Hanan in the land of the people of Ammon to comfort him. So he sent ambassadors. He said, go to that funeral service as it were and share our condolences. Tell him how good his father was. He was so kind to me and just love on them and let them know I love them. Be kind to them. So he sent representatives to go do that. Well, in verse three, the kings, the new king's advisors weren't so bright. And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan, do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Did his servants not come to you to search and to overthrow and to spy out the land? Verse 4, Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved them, a huge insult in that culture, and cut off their garments in the middle, at their buttocks. Um, a, a huge insult in any culture, I hope <laughs> that would not be good in ours and uh, sent them away. So first thing I'll say is this is kind of symbolic. Really, if we can step away from the specifics and just look at the general situation for a moment, how many people do you know who simply cannot receive an act of kindness? They're just convinced that no one does kindness like that. There's got to be a string attached. There's got to be an ulterior motive. There's something else going on. People don't just do that. And how many times have you tried to do something nice for someone and they just, they won't have it? No, no, what's this going to cost me? Why are you doing this? No, I don't want to do this. Do you know at the root of that 
is a lack of understanding of honor. They didn't understand honor, and they're like, no, it can't be. There's got to be something else going on. David would not just come here and honor your father by being kind to you. Now there's got to be something else. It's a lack of understanding of honor. Honor would do that very thing. Honor would not only show kindness to a generation, but to the next because of what father did. So they don't understand honor. They don't walk in it. And so what do they do? I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding the logic of what they did. So in their mind, let's think they really believe this. No, they're here to spy out the land. They're checking it out so they can send troops to overtake us and make us servants of their kingdom and we won't be Ammonites anymore. So I know, let's greatly insult their ambassadors. That's how we'll stop them from attacking us in war, right? That makes no sense to me whatsoever. Because what I expect to happen is exactly what happened. They shaved their heads and cut their clothes and sent them back with everything exposed which was a huge insult. Word got to King David, because we're not going to read the rest of this, I'll give you the Cliffs notes. Word got to King David before they even made it back, and he stopped his ambassadors. And he sent them to a border town in Israel, and he said, no, you guys go here and hide out. Let your hair grow back, get the right clothes on, and when you are presented honorably again, with your dignity intact, then come on home. He's trying to protect them. But then at the same time, it did what you probably expected. It angered him. And he went, fine, if you're not going to let me be kind to you, then I'll do exactly what you're thinking. And he rallied the troops, and he sent his armies to Ammon. And he obliterated the place. Now, back to the Ammonites that make no sense to me. Pretty much expecting this was going to irritate King David. Then they called up the Syrians on the phone and said, hey, we want to hire some mercenaries. Uh, Come over here and get ready which they did. The Syrians came over, had another army ready to fight alongside them when, sure enough, the armies of King David showed up, and uh, it didn't help. The Israeli army leveled the place. They were no match for them. And the, the Syrians learned their lesson and said, we'll never do that again. They <laughs> said, you guys are on your own. You know, they just said, forget it. But anyway, I, I don't understand. That's not how you avoid a war. But anyway, that... I guess you can't expect wisdom out of some people. I'll leave it at that. Uh, let's go on to something else then. I'm going to go to First Chronicles um, chapter 17. We're going to really see into the heart of David here. First Chronicles 17 verse 1. Now it came to pass when David was dwelling in his house that David said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under tent curtains. Then Nathan said to David, do all that is in your heart, for God is with you. So I want to to pause here. David's just sitting around one day, and I don't know what the palace looked like at this point, but he's sitting around thinking, I got it pretty good, and I'm in this wonderful house. God has so blessed me, and yet the Ark of the Covenant, where the presence of the Lord is, is in a tent. And something in David's heart said, that's not right. I'm living in a better house than God is. And there's just something not right about that. Now, I'll just pause there and say, um, that's a huge picture of David's heart. Because from the time the Ark of the Covenant showed up to this point, 
No one else had ever had that thought. No, it wasn't always practical. Under Moses, they did a lot of traveling. But at no point so far has anyone had the idea, hey, let's build a house for God. But yet David, he was thinking that way. I'll throw this in. Philippians 2.21 says, For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. That's typical. See, this is typical of all generations. Most people left to their own devices are looking out for themselves. Most people are seeking what they desire, what they want, and they're looking out for themselves. It's unusual for somebody to put God's desires above their own. Now, I'm not saying King David is the only one, but he is a shining example of someone who, again, has a heart after God, and he's putting God's things ahead of his own. Honor looks out for others. Honor is not worried and focused just on self, but looks to the outside to others. So back to King David, he's thinking, this isn't right. And so, wants to do things right, he called the prophet in, and the prophet's name was Nathan. He says, Nathan, this isn't right. Yeah, I'm living in a nice house, God's in a tent. And Nathan says, do what's on your heart. You're the king. You love God. Do what you want. And he leaves. King David, you, you don't have to tell him twice. He's gearing up. All right, I'm going to build a house for God. Well, he didn't get very far. Um, before I believe before the night was over, um, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Nathan and said, hold on, I got something to say about this. Um, verse 3, but it happened that night that the word of God came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, you shall not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since that time I brought up Israel, even to this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. Wherever I have moved about with all of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, Thus shall you say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold. Now we're back at the beginning. I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you and have made you a name like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Also, I will subdue all your enemies. Furthermore, I tell you that the Lord will build you a house. Oh, my goodness. Um, now, hold on a minute. That's not what David was after. Remember where this started. He's like, I'm living in a great house. God needs a better house. All on his own. Just out of his love for God. And God's saying, no, I've never told anyone to build me a house. All right. What what we're finding out is, first of all, I, I can't get past the house thing. 
He says, I'm trying to build God a house. And God says, no, don't build me one, but I'm going to build you one. And I'm thinking, that fits with what we've already seen. in the, the Kind of the theme verse for this series. God said, those who honor me, I will honor. And he says, I saw your heart. And you want to build me a house. Now, no, you're not going to build me a house. But I'm going to honor the intent of your heart. And I'm going to build you a house. That's just God. Now, what we find out about David is that building a house for God was coming, but that wasn't part of David's calling. He was not the one called to build a house. That was actually his son's calling, Solomon. David was getting ahead of God, just out of his his heart, out of his love for God. All right. We could go down a rabbit trail. I'm not going to um, because David's heart was in the right place. But you get in trouble when you get into someone else's calling. (laughs) Now, if God asks you to step into someone else's calling, that's different. But if you're wandering off on your own apart from God, not always a good idea. And God stopped him, said, no, that's that's not your calling. That's not your place. That's for someone else. But then he says, I'm going to honor your heart. So uh, he says, you have pleased the Lord. I'm saying this, you have pleased the Lord with what's in your heart. And so he's going to build you a house. Um, pick it up in uh, verse 11. And it shall be when your days are fulfilled, talking about David, when you must go to be with your fathers, that I will set up your seed after you, who will be of your sons, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build me a house. So it's coming. You're one generation early. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my mercy away from him as I took it away from um, who was before you. And I will establish him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. So what does David do? Does he get mad? Does he throw a fit? No, 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 no. You wouldn't even guess that. What's David do? He says, okay. And he packs himself up and he goes down to the tent where the ark is and he worships God. And he just, my imagination, he just begins to remember, God, you did pull me out of the sheepfold and you protected me from the lions and the bears and you were on me and you were anointing me when that giant was threatening the armies of Israel and you protected me when I ran for my life when King Saul kept trying to kill me time and time again and you have helped me so many ways. He's just reciting what all the things that God has done for him up to this point. And uh, so then what did David do? He says, okay, I can't build it, but I can pay for it. And he made it his life's ambition. From that point until the time he did go home to be with his fathers, he started a building fund, and he started collecting money. And first he did it the way he did things is uh, typical of that day. This is not how we do things today. But typical of that day, the armies would go out, in the times of war, usually in the spring, there's another passage where it talks about in, in the season when the kings are off with their battles fighting because that's what they did. And he would go out and he would win battles. One thing he was doing was he was stretching the borders of Israel to where God had or, has ordained them to be, which to this day they're still not. Um, 
but that's another sermon for another day. That's coming. <laughs> but anyway, he was stretching the borders of Israel to where they're supposed to be. And every time they would conquer another nation, he would bring the spoils of war home and he started putting it in the building fund. And he did that for years. I didn't look to see from this point to the end of his life how many years that was. But he did that for years, just building the building fund, building the building fund. And then out of his own treasury, he began putting money in the building fund. Thinking what? I'm not going to disobey God. He told me I can't build it. Fine. But I'm going to get ready for it. My son's going to build it. And I'm going to pay for it. When my son gets ready to build, the money will be in the bank. In fact, he even went a little further than that. Um, well, I'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, am I going to read it? I'm not going to read it. Okay, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. Then you know what he did? David started going into the temple and getting on his knees in prayer. And he started praying. Now, God, I know you said I can't build it, and that's fine. And I'm going to pay for it, but here's what I ask. Can I see the blueprints? I know I can't build it, but can I see what it's going to look like? How big is it going to be? What's the design going to look like? And God honored his prayer and showed him. And then you know what he did? Well, in order to accomplish that, we're going to need some gold, and we're going to need some silver. And now he had a better idea of how to prepare, and not only did he begin to fill the bank with cash, in a sense, <laughs> then he started getting supplies lined up. He didn't get everything, but he got a lot of it lined up before he ever went home to be with the Lord, because he was determined, I'm going to do as much as I can to build a house for my God, because he just loved him so much. Um, so I'm going to jump down to First Chronicles 29. Look at this in, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 2. Now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. Gold for things to be made of gold. Silver for things of silver. Bronze for things of bronze. Iron for things of iron. Wood for things of wood. Onyx stones. Stones to be set. Glistening stones of various colors all kinds of precious stones and marble slabs in abundance. This was before the days of forklifts. <laughs> I cannot imagine, but he did it. And he just filled the treasuries of Israel. Look at verse 3. Moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold, and silver. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses. The gold for things of gold, the silver for things of silver, for all kinds of work to be done by the hands of the craftsmen. Now let me pause. He got specific enough that he started saying, all right, I gave this much gold and I gave this much silver and a bunch of other stuff. If you took that and you translated it in today's money based on the value of gold today. Now it's fluctuating, and I don't, I don't know where it's at exactly right now. But bring it into current standards. Um, we're talking conservatively $1.5 billion. With a B, not million. <laughs> billion, that's conservative. Some take it more than that. That King David gave out of King David's checking account. He was a blessed man. 
Why? There was anointing on that man. He was doing everything God wanted him to do. Are you with me? So now he's put another 1.5 or more billion of his own dollars in there. Then what happened? Um, he, he continues, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? What's he saying? All right, here's what I gave. Does anyone else want in on this? He did not mandate anything. He did not require. What he opened up was a free will offering. If anyone else, just out of the adoration of your own heart, if you want to get in on this, we have a building fund. And let each man give as he so desires. Here's what I've done. Okay? Uh, verse 6. Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, the captains of the thousands and of hundreds, with the officers over the king's work, offered willingly. They gave for the work of the house of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite, the accountant. That's what I, I don't know, but I'm going with that. I like it. Verse 9, Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord, and King David also rejoiced greatly. And again, bring that into modern terms, the nation of Israel, a lot of his officers and the people under him, about another $2.6 billion. So conservative estimates, we now have over $4 billion sitting in the building fund ready to build this, the temple when King Solomon gets ready to go. When it comes time to trade, and he starts setting up trade routes with uh, Tyre, uh, I won't get into all that, but it was all ready. He said, I can't build it, but I can get ready. He says, I can get ready. Then he begins to prophesy. Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. What he's honoring David is honoring God with everything he has. It's, does he honor him with words? Absolutely. But in, in the case of this one, it was all of his actions, a lifetime, years of actions to honor God with his heart. He was a man after God's own heart. There was something about David, and I'll point this out. It wasn't that he just was smarter than other people or more skilled than other people. It wasn't David. He had a heart after God and he acted on it. But there was grace on David that he connected with. There was an anointing on David. And it was connected to that calling that we talked about. 
He stepped into the job that God had planned for him, and he cooperated, unlike his predecessor, and did everything God asked him to. There was calling on his life to expand the nation's borders. Remember, he said, God said, and I'm going to give them a place that is theirs, that will be their place they won't have to travel anymore. And he used David to do a lot of that, because they had, now you can look at the history, they had started out under Joshua, and then they'd lost some ground. But David is restoring and bringing unity to Israel. And there was anointing on him to do that. And he cooperated with all of that. But it was beyond ordinary. It was beyond anything David could have done on his own. It was supernatural what was on him. And it ran downhill. If you want to see a little bit of a picture of some of that anointing on David, you can actually look at the men who served under him. Because he had a f- armies, literally, but especially in the officers that served under him, he had a corps of men who came up under him to help him fulfill the call on his life. In a sense, it was their calling to step in and take their place in the bigger calling of what God was trying to do, even through King David. And so that same anointing on David filtered down to the people working under him. It, it, it was all one big, it was an act of unity is what it was. There's always a stronger anointing in unity. Those are connected. That's another message. Um, but, but if we want to look a little bit about David, we can look at the men under him and learn about that anointing. That's where I'm trying to get to. So I'm going to go over to First Chronicles chapter 11, and I want to read a little bit about these men who served under David. First uh, Chronicles 11 verse 20, and I apologize ahead of time if I butcher any names. Um, Abishai, the brother of Joab, was chief of another three. He had lifted up his spear against 300 men, killed them, and won a name among these three. Now, keep in mind, these are armies. These are what they do. Okay, But he picked up his spear and took on 300 soldiers of another army and won. Um, after the fight was over, there were 300 men on the ground and one man left standing, and it was Abishai. That's not normal. I mean, now I'm not an expert of military conquest, <laughs> but that's not normal. Okay, you understand what I'm saying? So what was unusual about Abishai? Was it that he was a Goliath of a man, huge and big? Or was he just smarter than the rest? Or was it because... He had supernatural abilities from God, and he was like the Flash who ran around so fast they couldn't see him coming and just and killed 300 men. What does the Bible point to when it comes to Abishai? Look at the next verse. Of the three, he was more honored than the other two men. Therefore, he became their captain. However, he did not attain to the first three. I see that phrase a few times. And I think what it is, is right under David, there were three men who had the highest place under King David. There were ranks under him. And we're looking at Abishai, who was incredible in his place, but he wasn't in that highest rank. He was down a little bit. He wasn't in that first three. He was down a little ways. But he was no slouch. But how was it that he could take a spear and take on 300 men? The only thing the Bible points to, he was more honored than the other men in his outfit. 
something about honor. What what you're going to see is consistent. I've kind of already pointed it out. Honor and anointing go together. Honor and anointing go together. He was more honored. Uh, a couple other translations, but they all say similar. Complete Jewish Bible says he had the most honor. Uh, New American says he was the most honored. Uh, Darby says he was more honorable. So pick your favorite word. They're all saying the same thing. The Bible says it had to do with the honor that was on him. Uh, verse 22, uh, Benaiah was son of Jehoiada, um, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He had also gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Uh, maybe he was bored, I don't know. And he killed an Egyptian, a man of great height, five cubits tall. That'd be around seven and a half feet. Another Goliath-looking figure. In the Egyptian hand, there was a spear like a weaver's beam. And he went down to him with a staff, wrested the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among three mighty men. Indeed, same thing. He was more honored than the thirty in his outfit. But he did not attain to the first three, and David appointed him over his guard. So there it is again, another mighty man who did things that were not normal. I would even say things that were not natural. He's tapping into something supernatural. But what's the Bible point our attention to? He was more honored. Honored by God. How do you become more honored? God said, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me more. I will honor more. How do you get to a place of being more honored? You honor God more. Where did they learn how to honor God? From their boss. They're learning it from King David. Honor is something you learn. They didn't start that way. They didn't, uh, didn't. They weren't born just knowing how to honor. In fact, have you looked at where they came from? These mighty men who served under King David? They came out of the, the greatest West Point academies in the army of Israel? No. Quite the opposite. In uh, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1, we're going back earlier in David's life, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. We're early in his life where Saul's trying to kill him. And he's literally running for his life, hiding to try and stay alive. And here he hides in a cave in Adullam. Verse 2, And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, couldn't pay their bills, everyone who was discontented, gathered to him. So he became captain over them. And there were about 400 men with him. Where did David's mighty men come from? They were a group of misfits. They were discontented. They were in distress. They couldn't pay their bills. They were running from the bill collectors. They were a group of misfits. And so, hey, David's hiding. Let's go hide with him. That's where they started. When David began building his core group of mighty men, there they are. So it wasn't something they were born with. It's something they learned. They literally stepped under David's tutelage. They saw God on him and just 
stepped under him and connected, took a place and said, how can I help? How can I serve? And they learned honor from David. It was David's character that rubbed off on them. And then as they were obedient to take their place and do what they were taught, his anointing ran downhill. And the anointing that was on his life began to get on them because they were all working together to a similar cause. They learned it. They learned it. Well, as I close this morning, I'll give you one more example. I'm going to go back to First Chronicles 11. And I, I want to give you one more account. Again, three mighty men who served under David, starting in verse 15. Now, three of the 30 chief men went down to the rock to David, into the cave of Adullam, he's still in that cave, and the army of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. So the the Philistine army had taken Bethlehem. And David said with longing, Oh, that someone would give me a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So what's going on? Now, is he giving orders? No. They're hanging out in a cave. I'm going to guess there was water running in the cave, but apparently... It just didn't taste as good as the spring water coming out of the well at Bethlehem. And King David is just sitting around one afternoon saying, man, I wish I had a drink out of the well at Bethlehem, which he couldn't have at the moment because that was under the the watch of the Philistine army. So he couldn't exactly get over there and get a drink. So he's just just thinking out loud, just kind of wishing, gosh, sure wish I could get some water out of the well. Verse 18 So the three, three of his mighty men, broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem, that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Let's pause there. He didn't give an order. He didn't tell them to do it. We're in a similar case now. It was just in their heart. Hey, boss says he sure would like to have a drink of water out of the well of Bethlehem. I, I, those three mighty men, I can almost hear them, like, not literally, but they're whispering. I'm imagining they're whispering to each other. And they're saying, did you hear what he said? Yeah, I heard it. Got your gear? Yeah, I'm ready. What are you waiting on? Let's go. Without orders, didn't even tell them what they were doing. Now, I wanted to think for a moment Maybe they went into sniper mode and they got on, you know, they put on branches and twigs or something, snuck through enemy lines, snuck to the well when no one was looking and dipped water out. And maybe. But as I read, it says, they broke through the camp of the Philistines. Now, I did not do a word study, but just the way that's translated, I'm thinking it might be the other way. It might be when you consider they're the mighty men. And if God's hand of anointing is on them, they walked right through the middle. What's the quickest way to any point? (laughs) A straight line. And whatever's in my way, we're going to move. We are headed to the well. Could be. Now, you picture it any way you want to. But they, in their heart, said, we want to do this for our boss, for King David. I don't think he was king at this time. They're hiding in a cave still. But he says, we're going to do this for him. And they did. They fought their way through, they got the water, and they came back. And I will go so far as to say it was an act of honor 
and I, I don't think the Bible says this, but what I see, it's here for us for a reason. Because they were actor, they were honoring the one who was above them, God did put his hand of protection on them, and they made it there, and they made it back. And I don't think it was just because they were super sneaky. God anointed what they were doing, even though it wasn't an order from their boss. So they get the water, and they bring it back to King David. Verse 18, I'm going to pick up where I left off. says, nevertheless, David would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. Verse 19, and he said, far be it from me, O my God, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of these men who have put their lives in jeopardy? For at the risk of their lives they have brought it. Therefore he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. Now some people might be tempted to be offended by that. They go to all that trouble and he pours it out and wouldn't even drink it. Those are people who don't understand honor. David recognized he was not talking about drinking blood. What was he talking about? They risked their blood to even get this water. In David's eyes, the value now of that cup of water is their lives. That's what was at risk to get it. And David recognized this is incredibly valuable. This is incredibly honoring. And he said, this is too much for even me. He says, I can't drink this. So what did David do? I'm now going to give this gift to the only one worthy to drink what this water represents. And he gave it to God. And he poured it out as an offering. Those three men were not offended when he poured it out. He made their gift even more valuable and said, boys, this is too valuable for me. Let's give it to God. Which, again, act of honor. Are you seeing all through him, those men that worked under David went from a motley crew to mighty men of valor. They did amazing exploits. But the reason being, they learned honor from King David. They walked in honor like King David did. And now... Their exploits are recorded in Scripture. We just looked at a few of them. For all of eternity, it is recorded what those mighty men did. Many of their acts of valor are serving under David. And one of the best good newses we can gather from that, for us, if God can do that with a group of misfits, He can do that with us. Amen? He can do that with us. We can be a people who are after God's own heart. We can know what He values. We can learn and understand how He thinks. We can do exploits on our own. Why? Because His hand is on us. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who honor me more, I will honor more. Amen?